0: Led by Donkeys Podcasts. I'm Joe, and with me today Rick, Nick, is Nick. Is Rich? Nick. Um, no, it's Nick. Her, I messed it up. her voice is a little bit, little bit deeper than usual. Uh, I
1: don't think I could get that low. I definitely,
0: or that high. I definitely have a high pitched voice. Uh, I, I can try, and I just sound like a dumber version of me. Uh, but yeah, I'm here with Rich today. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I got Nick and the uh, like of the podcast dog uh, in the room. Uh, today also wearing uh, my Leica t t-shirt that i got uh that is a Solid soviet t-shirt. propaganda poster Solid uh, you know it's funny uh, rich and i went to a bernie sanders rally in, in uh, tacoma uh, a couple weeks ago and it was the same day these shirts came in and i'm like Fuck yeah! I cannot wait to wear the shirt. And then I realized, like, I probably should not wear a Soviet Union propaganda poster to a political rally. (laughs) Like, this will probably not go over great. They might even turn me away at the door. (laughs) So I did not. Uh, but last week, how'd you feel about um, part one of Napoleon's invasion of Russia? Do we get to the war now? We do, kind of. Fuck. So you remember? Way back uh, during the Soviet-Afghan war series, how I made an entire episode based on the life and time of the soldiers fighting in the war. Yes, great episode. This is this episode.
1: Um, Now, I... We have a Soviet soldier
0: way, way back. uh, Well, we do talk about the Imperial Russian Army, which I will leave it up to you if their existence is worse than the Red Army. Uh, we'll, We'll compare and contrast there. Let's do it um but when we left you on the last and actually before we go into that i thought it was important to do this i I learned from this structure of the soviet afghan series that it kind of didn't make a lot of sense to make that part seven because like i'm telling this seven hour long ten hour long story however long was i don't remember um and and there's no like you know, he's really like in the, the, the boots of the dudes who are, are drinking boot polish or whatever. Like you didn't learn that until afterwards. Right. And a lot of the dumb shit they made, they did or were made to do or ended up doing ended up making a lot more sense. The problem was that was six hours later. So I figured I'd front load at this time. Nice. It's also pretty important to the story um, because, you I mean, most people think of, uh, you know, the grand army as a French army absolutely was not mm. most people think of the russian imperial army as a russian army when it absolutely was not i don't think i've actually seen a more multicultural group of idiots thrown <laughs> at each other than this war yet uh in this show and it's probably not what people are thinking um but we also get to talk about how we got to that point and that's okay. what so that's what this episode is as well all right what are they drinking uh, they're pro they, they would hope for water, which we will talk about, but they also did not have okay. that, <laughs> uh, probably wine, fortified wine, uh, diluted down because it, it's potable. Right. Uh, you know, water, uh, uh, purification really did not exist or they could be drinking what we're drinking right now, which is Michelob Ultra, Yeah, they could. Which, yeah. W- which is just water with extra steps. Uh, do not judge us. I felt like I had to bring that up, because when we're not drinking Old Crow, I feel like we're doing our our audience a disservice. Our last episode, we were drinking wine. Uh, This episode, we're drinking yeast water. Um, It will not happen again. No, and 2.6 carbs, though. We're officially at the age where we judge what we drink by what their carb content is. It's not bad. It's called getting old. Uh, Now, when he left you last week, the Bros of Empire- Yeah, my butt hurt. (laughs) you broke your ass snowboarding should point that out phrasing are we not doing phrasing on this podcast (laughs) anymore never Uh, what happens in the studio stays in the studio it is not soundproof that is completely not not. true found that out (laughs) so we have a bathroom that's attached to our studio uh, and he was in it and he was like he said something and I was like what he's like wait can you hear me I think it's not even an entire piece of drywall that separates the two. It's probably just a plank of wood. Maybe it's a plank wood and at least two pieces of drywall.
1: Yeah. Uh I don't know what's in between those two pieces of drywall. Maybe newspaper. Like one of those uh memes with the, the fucking gray guy who's like construction. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh so yeah when we left you last week,
0: uh Nick was suffering butt pain and also the French Emperor uh, Napoleon Bonaparte and the Russian Tsar Alexander were were their bromance was fallen apart. Uh, their their bromance had fallen on rough times. It's
1: hard um, to bring those back too.
0: Yeah, I, I mean they probably turn in their friendship bracelets. Um, you know, they got different yep. workout partners. It's some serious shit. Actually, I can't even make that joke. Napoleon's fat as shit now. He's not working <laughs> out. <laughs> no, it's it's actually noted in the book multiple times uh, uh, that he had gained weight. Like I wonder if it's like everybody noticed. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like like a I don't whole, know if it's okay to fat shame Napoleon, but we should probably fat shame Napoleon. I'm imagining just a whole page has nothing to do with Napoleon, but they throw it in there like Napoleon at this time fat as shit still.
0: <laughs> yeah, a, a soldier says he run by. Damn, he looks like a bag of nickels. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Napoleon is girthy. Who oh, is that soldier? I want his rank. I want his name. <laughs> now the, the importance of his his girth will become important um, <laughs> his because as you know,
1: I wonder if his horse <laughs> his was w- noticing his, his, w- is oh,
0: his horse fucking noticed.
1: Whoa, Napoleon, you're gaining a few. <laughs> At first it was kind of like a joke. Like, as ah. everybody
0: knows, the width is more important than his height. Um, but uh, because he's going to be surrounded by literally tens of thousands of people starving to death. Napoleon never lost a fucking pound. <laughs> Don't need to. It's important to point out. Uh, now, When we're talking about the beginning of this war, it's important to point out, and I think most people will be shocked to learn, that Napoleon was not the first person to plan for this war, or even plan a war. That was actually the Tsar of Russia, Alex. Uh, After one too many slights, the Tsar ordered his Minister of War, which, remember, is a position that he had just created, and nobody had any idea how to run, uh, to start drawing up invasion plans. Uh, His plan was to, what else... Uh, strike directly into the Grand Duchy of Warsaw, which was, I'm assuming, something that haunted his nightmares every single day by just existing. Like, wait a minute, Polish people? <laughs> <laughs> no, thank yeah. you. Uh, because if there's one constant in Russian history, it's getting drunk on boot polish and fucking Poland over mercilessly, uh, constantly. It it just it's without end. Um, there wasn't that long ago that like their entire government died in a plane crash. And, uh, one, there, it was weird that they're all traveling on the same plane, but they're also going to like a memorial uh, of a massacre of, uh, of Polish, like military officers and intelligence from during world war two. Yeah. And everybody's was like, Russia fucking did yeah. it. <laughs> and like, everybody, I, like, I'm not really one for conspiracy theories. Like I was like, yeah, probably <laughs> It sounds valid. Yeah. Uh, sounds good. Yeah. Uh, especially because, like, it's a pretty big point of contention that like Russia never apologized for that massacre. So
1: like, oh, that happened.
0: Yeah, they. It, it's like the. It's a their version of the Armenian genocide to the Turks. They're like, nah, never. People died, <laughs> sure, but it wasn't that bad. Yeah. yeah, Was it that many though? It was like tens of thousands of people that they executed in a ditch.
1: It, it, it's. I think it's called the Katin massacre. I'm pretty it? sure they're still looking at it, like. But was it that many? I mean,
0: in the grand scheme of things in Soviet history, what is 10 or 15,000 <laughs> dead? But like, yeah. Uh, now, his plan was, after crushing the Duchy, uh, which was pretty much not really an existent country, which we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, his armies were going to link up with Prussia, which was supposed to be his new bro. I used to use Prussia all the time. And uh, like Empire Total War? Yeah. Solid choice. I always did. Uh, they had long range rifles. And they they start off like they're back against the sea, and the AI was always too stupid for a seaborne invasion, so you're solid. Yeah. Uh, and and if you start off as Poland Lithuania, on the other hand, Russia would invade <laughs> you immediately. You just <laughs> you start
1: the campaign and you're defeated. Yeah. Huh. You you have chosen poorly. <laughs> uh. So and then
0: uh, after linking up with Prussia, they were just going to kind of just tour around the French Empire, stomping on Napoleon's shit until he lost. Touring. Um, Yeah, Uh, soon the Russian war machine, what existed at the time, uh, and by war machine, I mean it was like two serfs with a horse, uh, was in full effect. And the troops were uh, being called up uh, because they had like a huge standing army, but also they had to call up a ton of reserves uh, or what passed for reserves at the time. What was that? People who uh, were... anybody. Kind of. uh, We'll talk a little bit more about the Russian system uh, in a second. But it was uh, generally people who had already finished their military service or people who were up for military service but had just, like, not shown up, which was really easy in the 1800s. They actually would make an attempt to bring you back into the
1: army. Oh, you have two legs.
0: (laughs) I see you have all your fingers. I see you're chewing one off. You're still good in our book. Um, The problem was you can't, like, move around tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people now really without people noticing uh but definitely not back then because like word travels fast um and there's spies everywhere uh and as soon it was like the talk of the town in russia like yeah we're gonna invade france (laughs) we're gonna invade france so like before long napoleon immediately knew what they were doing uh though almost all of his advisors thought it was a bluff Uh, Napoleon's advisors, that being, uh, they did not think that uh, Alex had the balls to actually invade them. Oh. But Napoleon thought it was as good as a formal declaration of war and began to uh, put his entire empire on full alert through this invasion route that he thought he he was going to come through. Uh, He also tried to stop the war before it started uh, through diplomatic means. Uh, Napoleon may have been up his own ass most of the time but he didn't want to fight the British and the Spanish at the same time as he fought Russia because it was really this guerrilla war which is where the term comes from Uh, it was a real big thorn in his side and he thought that it was going to be really easy to crush and he just kept sending other people to command it rather than himself which as we will find out is never a good thing for Napoleon to do and he just kept losing so he didn't want A war with Russia, even though it really seemed like he did. But the problem was his only diplomacy was pretty much, "You're gonna give me this." His diplomacy was a mugging, if you know what I mean. Like, give me your wallet. No, okay, I'm going to assault you and then I'm going to take your wallet. Okay, here's my wallet. Oh, so it worked. (laughs) I mean, he did take over most of Europe, took all their wallets. Is he was going to make people give him what he wanted, or fight you and then take what he wanted? It's pretty much his entire diplomacy. Uh, which is why him and Russia always had problems. Uh, he, he sent numerous negotiators um, to try to talk Russia down. And uh, so Russia had their specific terms in place that they wanted Poland to be Russian and they wanted out of the continental system, uh, which we talked about before, right. because it sucked. I mean, it wasn't really hurting the normal Russian people. It was hurting the nobility. Um, normal Russian peasants were serfs. Um, they were effectively slaves and subsistence farmers. They didn't give a shit about a continental system. Um, But the English were normally just importing luxury goods, which were impacting the nobility, because then they couldn't get them anymore. Uh. Um, And yeah, the normal serf would not have noticed the fucking difference. Like, I don't know. I ate my fucking foot yesterday. I'm hungry. Yeah. Uh, Can I please have freedom? Uh, Or maybe just one fucking... one more grain of rice today, please. Hey, good joke. Yeah, <laughs> hey, go hit the fields, there, sweetheart. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it was hurting, like I said before. Um, it's it's bizarre world sanctions in the modern day sense, where sanctions now only hurt regular people, not the elite. This continental system was only hurting the elite <laughs> of people. It was supposed to be working. Like it wasn't hurting England at all. Their wow. their exports actually increased. Nice. So like. Napoleon, uh, it's the DJ Khaled move, like, congratulations, you you played yourself. Uh, But they wanted out of it. They also let it be known if if war was to come, they would not surrender, and they would fight through the depths of Russia all the way to the capital if they need to, and they would not dictate any kind of peace terms as long as French soldiers run Russian territory. Mm. Now, if you are familiar with this chapter of history, you will know that's exactly what fucking happened. Uh and this is what is as foreshadowing. Nice. Uh,
1: I'm not familiar with this chapter. Now, but I like it.
0: Uh, Napoleon dismissed this as uh as bullshit and uh his warning of we'll never surrender, we'll fight all the way to Moscow as weak and false. Not a smart man. Uh it is pretty clear to me now that the Tsar learned everything that the emperor had taught him at Tilsit and their parties afterwards. And is now much better at this game than Napoleon is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Napoleon never thinks that he's not the best at anything he's ever done. So he doesn't notice. He still thinks that while Alex has matured, he's still my plaything. I can work around this. It's all He thought it was all the nobles around him causing him to be this boisterous. Oh, and, yes. and, like, Alex isn't the problem. It's all those fucking nobles. Which, kind of, sort of true, but not really. Uh, Because it was fear of his own nobility and losing the respect uh, that kind of made Alex not able to govern Russia. So Napoleon is, I would say, 30% right, which is failing if if you're keeping track at home. Uh, Now, the Tsar told the French negotiator this, quote, The Frenchman, he means Napoleon, is brave, but long privations and bad climate tire and discourage him our climate our weather will fight for us Prodigious victories are only achieved where the emperor is and he cannot be everywhere or stay away from Paris for years ooh the Soviet winter this means that the Tsar literally knew how this war was going to play out before it started nice. which is fucking astounding um I mean that's exactly what happens to a T uh and if you are keeping track so far you'll know that Napoleon
1: laughed at this and
0: never happened never happened <laughs>
1: <laughs> Weather doesn't exist.
0: Like the the czar of Russia is warning him, like dude, you're going to fucking lose if you come into Russia. We're just gonna go back into Russia and fuck your shit up later. Um, now for the negotiator, a guy named Kalankor, um, uh, he knew that the czar was not bluffing. He's like, no, he seemed really serious to me. <laughs> uh, he told the emperor that he should simply give up the Duchy of Warsaw, like just give it to fucking Russia. Who cares? yeah why does he want it a prestige thing um it's also important to point out that the duchy other than like diplomatically speaking materially is not worth shit uh poland is incredibly poor uh and the duchy is being propped up by french money and structure like even though it's not officially part of france it's a puppet uh he's propping up to exist Mm. there's there's no infrastructure there it's not giving anything to the empire other than like just being a buffer zone between them and russia but it's a buffer zone that would not be needed if he gave it to russia because then they'd be cool i mean that like the whole like calencore is like if you just gave it to him this alliance would be fine and you guys would be cool again just right you guys uh, go
1: back to writing letters
0: yeah like trying to get each other to come to parties and fuck weird
1: blow each other i don't know
0: that's how you actually seal an alliance in France.
1: Oh, them blowing each other.
0: You have to cross dicks over the paper. Nice. Uh, Now, so that's why De Gaulle and Hitler hate each other so much. (laughs) They just just weren't a big fan of one another. Um, Now, there's a pretty good chance that this would have worked, but, you know, sovereigns being sovereigns, there's a good chance they'd eventually end up fighting a war anyway, just because they both wanted to expand and now they were neighbors. But this would have at least postponed the war. Uh, unfortunately nobles are really dumb uh (laughs) uh, i I could go into like the i don't want to get into the weeds too much and the concept of honor and the 1800s and warfare and imperialism and all that but napoleon said he could not have peace without honor and giving warsaw away would be a dishonor to him and it'd be too big of of a shame for him
1: to bear would it though
0: no uh now going back to the last episode where he said that giving it up would kind of like be a would hurt him personally because a whole bunch of Polish people had fought for him. But I don't think they would have cared because he, remember he did not reinstall the kingdom of Poland. Like Poland is not like the Polish people understand their lot in life right now. Like we're not really independent. Napoleon controls everything. Like they're not under any kind of like misconceptions that they just fought for freedom and won it. They're not stupid, but he thinks that it's about image. Right. Um, as dumb as it sounds, this whole thing did work in slowing down the war. Uh, not because Napoleon had successfully worked some diplomatic magic, but because Alex was seeing as like uh, the window was getting further and further away. like mm, this might not be a great idea uh, because he was really, really pissed off. And then you know, emotionally Ooh. began, began all of this. And he's like, hmm, now that I'm sitting down and looking at this, this seems like it might be bad. I mean, his policies were failing at home. Uh, like I told you, the nobility really didn't like him. And if you have an entire court of people that don't like you, your government isn't going to work that great. This guy's reacting emotionally. They both say. this. You'll you'll find out that they both really do that, and Alex is just in a better place to do it because he's the one being invaded. Uh, but also two of his children had died, kind of threatening his, his grasp on power. Um, now, if someone wanted to kill him, it would be a little bit easier to just, assert a new dynasty. Right. Um, It's legitimate. It's kind of like why Napoleon was so excited about having a kid, except the opposite, because now they're dead. Uh, uh, And everybody hated him. So there's like a good bet like, hmm, my legitimacy is kind of fucked and everybody wants to kill me. Not good. (laughs) Never good. There's also an important fact that he did not want to be seen as an aggressor, uh, which is kind of weird, but he was worried about how he'd look on the international stage, which, Napoleon already invaded most people anyway. Right. So pro- they probably wouldn't have cared. Uh, but oh,
1: Napoleon's doing Napoleon things. Okay. Yeah. Uh,
0: also, people already kind of knew he had a hand in killing his own father. So theres he probably already looked like his, as big of an asshole as he's going to look. Uh, but now is Napoleon's turn to plan for this war. Because remember, he sees the mobilization as sign is like, war's on. Got to start. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like World War I. Once the mobilizations all started, nobody really knew how to stop them. Cool, let's go. So they just ended up in war. Yeah. Uh, also, a whole bunch of inbred idiots were involved then, too. Uh, he saw the Russian abandonment of the continental system as a betrayal, and combined that with the troop buildup that we talked about. He thought he had no choice but to act. Remember, Napoleon always saw his wars as defensive, because he's dumb. But uh, also because he's an emperor and, the you know, the head of a giant fucking empire. He's going to do giant fucking empire stuff. Yeah. Um, and Napoleon was starting to kind of lose his shit on the issue to the point that he was not ex- – for a man who talked about honor a lot like he did, he was not exactly acting in a way that was honorable in the sense that you would mm. expect an emperor to act that way. For instance, he had- – it turns out that a lot of governing and diplomacy back then, it was pretty much just tons of palace parties. And he was having one of those. Uh, I want a palace party. First, need a palace. Fuck. He used to get drunk in a trailer. I've done that before. That's kind of like a palace. I mean, your own palace. Yeah. I mean, if you declare it one, why not? I mean, he declared himself if emperor. my body's why a temple. You- <laughs> yeah, then this beer is a sacrament. Uh Nice. So at these palace parties, there would be ambassadors from everywhere, from all over Europe. There would be a di- diplomat shit like that. Um, blow. I mean, definitely tons of booze. I don't think they're doing drugs yet. Uh, I'd like to think that all of these would be much better if they all just had brains full of acid. Uh, I thought Napoleon
1: was trying to have str- like stripper and blow parties all the time.
0: He probably would if he thought he could get away with it. Um, but he... Decided he was, I don't think he was drunk, but he's really, really mad. Uh, and he kind of summoned the ambassador to Russia over. Um, and he had learned that the Russians had just defeated the Turks uh, in a battle. Uh, but instead of taking over the area that they they won control of, they withdrew. Rather than like conquer, like, hey, this is Russia now, fuck off. Didn't do that, they withdrew. Now, the ambassador said, well, we just don't have the money to station all the fucking troops out there. We're kind of poor. Right. Uh, we're a nation that is mostly populated by slaves. So, you know, it's a problem. Now, Napoleon did not believe him whatsoever. Um, and he just kind of launched into a screaming match, a one-sided screaming match, out of nowhere, um, and said that they'd actually withdrawn because the Tsar is planning to invade Warsaw. And fuck you, what the fuck. Um, and remember, this is in the middle of a goddamn dinner party where everybody's probably... That's awkward. It's like farting in the middle of a library, except you just shit yourself. But instead of shitting on yourself, you shit on the Russian guy next to you. Um, in the library? In the library. Because everybody's quiet, and it's going to be really loud and disruptive, and everybody's definitely stopping what they're doing. Someone's monocle is going to fall out.
1: I do that for funsies, but like a fake fart? Just to see, just to gauge the room, though. <laughs> just to see where everybody's sense of humor is at.
0: So somebody in the back room's like, hey, you know where to sit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just kind of go in there. Now the uh-huh. the ambassador was pretty surprised by just getting screamed at by the French emperor out of nowhere as you would imagine. And he couldn't really get a word in edgewise as he was just getting fucking chewed out out of nowhere. Uh and like the book makes it sound like it was a, a spectacle. Everybody stopped their doing. Napoleon's like face is beat fucking red. Uh and just scream almost incomprehensively mad to the point that he like at the, at this point if if you got in a bar fight, this guy would start crying and he'd swear it was just from the adrenaline. Like He just cannot oh, yeah. control himself.
1: Um, <laughs> it's almost like going to your friend's house and then his parents start yelling at him and then you're just sitting there like, oh, okay. Yeah,
0: that's it's actually a pretty good metaphor there. Um, and then finally at the end of his ash chewing, Napoleon is like, you know what? Fuck this. We'll negotiate a new treaty right now. You and me, let's do this. Let's sit down and before dinner was over,
1: we're going to figure this out. And then somebody's over there like, I got the wrong dinner. (laughs) When do I point this out? I ordered the turkey medallions. Uh,
0: Now there's a problem is obviously like the ambassador did not have the authority to do that right then and there. That's not how fucking diplomacy works. And you'd expect the French emperor to know that.
1: Um, I honestly hope he sat there and was like, deal, let's do it. Just so he can get out of the the situation. (laughs) It's like,
0: uh, hey man, I have this really good idea and you're just, at a party drunk and somebody's hammered and he totally thinks he can write like a, a video game or a screenplay or whatever. Kind of like how we made the podcast? Yep. <laughs> okay, cool. And, like, this has happened to me a lot where, uh, especially like when I, it, the once every three years when I go like to Michigan, um, I'll run into someone that I haven't talked to in years. And I'm like, hey, I heard you wrote a book. I have an idea for a book. And then you kind of have to listen to the idea because you're trapped. Uh, the best way to get around that is by Shitting saying- Shitting yourself. No, you get business cards, I have your email like, yo, send it to me. And then you can just get the fuck out of there. You have business cards? I
1: did. Yeah. Yeah. I ran out of them because nobody wanted them and I just threw them away. <laughs> they turned out to Don't be- Don't you re- have my business card? Yeah, it's supporting this table. It's yeah. not all wobbly anymore. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a Thanks.
0: really it was a really good like ninja smoke bomb. Like, yeah. yeah, dude, I'm really interested. You should email me. And in reality, it was like, I only knew him because he was my <laughs> weed guy when I was 15. And then, like, he end up becoming friends with my brother. And then at that point, it's way too awkward to cut off that le- that linkage there. It's a secondhand friend, is what I'm saying.
1: Your and brother?
0: It, also, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, obviously, like I said, the ambassador could not be like, yeah, let's wrap up this giant fucking treaty. Because, uh, you know, he's not the czar. Uh, and the, the emperor should have known that. Uh, this led to uh, Napoleon leaving the party throwing his hat at him. Cause that's just what he always did. He probably went through a lot of hats. I feel like he did. Uh, and knocked over some stuff on his way out. And he went back to his office where he came to the conclusion that if he wanted peace with Russia, he would, they would have to give up Warsaw, France. That means, but he couldn't do that because dumb honor imperial reasons. Uh, so he only knew one other way to find peace. And that was the only way Napoleon ever found MJs. peace with anybody. Yeah, it's, it's like universal basic income both hand jobs nice uh but he he knew the only way he'd get peace if he could dictate it or as he put it quote my honor demands that i negotiate at the head of a strong and numerous army which really just sounds like war with extra steps
1: it's a lot of extra words there
0: yeah uh it's it's rather than like it's a nice way that that he obviously someone is writing this down so he he wanted a way to be like Fucking hate
1: that guy. I'm going to go shoot him.
0: But like, you can't say that because you're the emperor. He's like, hmm, I can negotiate at the head of a
1: large and numerous army. I imagine he did say that, but then the dude who's actually right now is like, hmm. I speak fluent emperor. <laughs> yeah.
0: And you know, someone else like, sir, you want to revise that a bit? That just sounds like war. Hmm. No. Uh, and that's when Napoleon finally committed to war with Russia. No, he was not going to invade Russia to conquer the territory. He wasn't trying to topple the Tsar his plan was to smack them around a bit so he could dominate them and force them back onto team Napoleon. That sounds really All stupid, right? right? <laughs> yeah. It's cause it is. Uh, now this brings us to one of the things that many people know about this future disaster already. That is Napoleon's grand army. one of the largest ever assembled up to that point in history. But remember this is the 1800s. They're not jumping on trains and going over the Eastern front. They're not going to be transported there in an the airplane. Um, they're, they're not, going to get mustered by any technological sense. It's literally just
1: footwork. Oh, sounds like that's walking.
0: Uh, Yep. Uh, Pulling together hundreds of thousands of men in the support system to deploy them would take some time and effort. In Napoleon's world, that pretty much meant telling all of his family members that he'd installed on the various thrones of Europe to start mustering their armies. This included his stepson, who is the prince of Italy now, and his brother Jerome, who kind of bounced around in different imperial titles because he's kind of a fucking dumbass. Uh, and various other other minor German states all fell under the French imperial thumb. Napoleon's goal was to gather half a million men, which was going to be pretty fucking hard. That's big. That is hard to do now. Uh, Life in the French military at the time was as bad as pretty much every other army. And when I say French, I mean the imperial French army. There's variations... Of this, depending on the variant client states, but this is largely the existence of a soldier in Western European military at the time. Um, So, I mean, life was pretty bad, so there's a chance that a lot of people would desert. Um, They had special formations set up on the march, like cavalry would march on a screen to make sure they could catch people as they ran away. Really? Like, they literally dedicated people. I think it was the King of Prussia that started that, yeah which is why the Prussian military always thought it as being like the most brutal because it was harder to get away from. Jeez. Um, but in peacetime, nobody really gave a shit. Now, there was the, obviously that war going on in the in the West again, with Spain and, and, and England, but the, like there, there was a vast amount of soldiers just sitting around, and people would just be like, well, I guess I'm just going to go home. <laughs> uh, and nobody really cared. Um, I just looked around. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah, like if you're a night guard, and I'm just going to walk away. Is really fucking easy. Um, they, I mean, the, the army had more important things to worry about at the time. But now that the emperor is trying to find every ab- able-bodied man he could find uh, with or without training, preferably with training, it'd save him some time and money. Uh, so he, that would, people would start caring about the vast amount of deserters. Like, it, it was pretty easy to desert, but it was pretty hard to stay deserted. So most people would leave Paris and one the outlying villages. So they would just send the gendarmes, which is pretty much the MPs out into the countryside to root out all these groups and they tend to congregate in groups too. Uh because they you know they'd run out to these villages not have any connections or family right. and they just end up living around one another. Smart. Uh, yeah. Um so they would go out and find them and bring them all back. Uh but this is also matched by a huge call up for new recruits. Uh the idea was to spread as many as they could uh amongst other units so like not have huge clumps of them um but they got so many new recruits that soon that there, there's an entire like battalions made of new people willing recruits well it's conscription um it was a lot of people volunteered for arm, for the military in France at the
1: time um
0: i cannot stress enough how uh how much of a of a magnani- magnanimous personality napoleon was to a normal frenchman or especially to a soldier virtually worship the man um so and, and not to mention uh, the French revolution knocked away all those old walls about peasants becoming officers, becoming no- even nobility. Um, because like one of Napoleon's favorite generals start off as a sergeant. Um, so like, if you w- went out and earned glory on the field of battle for Napoleon, he would reward you. Like so- his marshals became nobility because of Napoleon. Oh, Like he's like, you know, through his peerage. So like, I, obviously, it's a massive army, so you its like winning the lottery. But the there was a very—it's almost like today. Like there's a very real possibility that if I join the if, if I'm broke and I don't have any other career aspects out there, I could join the military and I could climb up to you know lower middle class, which is fucking mind blowing,
1: right? Yeah. Same thing. Oh, sweet deal.
0: Um, but you know there was conscription where they would drag you kicking and screaming into the ranks at times like this. Um. And you would serve until the end of the campaign. So like, it was like, from now until...
1: That's awful. Yeah,
0: it gets worse. Um, Now, if you're thinking all this... And and the quality of those people varied widely because recruiters got paid for the people that they brought in. Like, well, sir, I'm missing an arm. Welcome aboard! (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Don't worry, a rifle is an extension of that arm. Yeah. Uh, If you're thinking that this huge influx of new people, arms, and supplies that those new people would need and everything else to put together an invasion force would require a large staff of well-trained officers to manage and, you know, whatever. Um, you'd be right. You would also not be Napoleon. Oh, uh, Napoleon, among other things, was one of the most annoying micromanagers in quite possibly in all of military history. Uh, now remember this man is the, is not a general anymore. He's not a marshal. He's the fucking emperor. He has thrown the entire government. It's an absolute monarchy. Uh, This is the things that he was worried. Right. He demanded every detail from every unit from all over the French Empire down, down to the lowest battalion to be directed directly by him. Wow. He would pass paper orders for tens of thousands of people. Now, remember, he has generals and marshals and colonels and just like everything else. They are not allowed to make any fucking decisions. They're just bodies. Pretty much. Gotcha. The officers in the French military, with the exception of directly on the battlefield at the time of like thing, when things would happen, are pretty much only there to pass on orders from the emperor.
1: That's their job. <laughs> yep. Nice.
0: This inc- now, this includes things like the exact amount of supplies they should have on them at any, any given day, down to the individual soldier.
1: Down to the noodle.
0: And what buttons they had on their uniform. Wow. He demanded to be in control of absolutely
1: everything.
0: A company would not march without Imperial approval. I have not seen anything like this. That's insane. Ever. Uh, Speaking of those uniforms, let's talk about those. Nick, you're a bit of a uniform guy. Mm, Former. So I'm going to explain these uniforms to you. The uniform the French soldiers would march their, their way to war in was absolutely not something you should be marching into war in. They wore several layers of wool to include trousers that tied in such a way that it made bending your knees difficult. They had knee wraps on. Pretty much. Um, and no squat session. It was like three pairs of pants. Solid. I would and, and like jackets and everything else. And these are dress uniforms, which they would go into battle in. There wasn't there wasn't like a ceremonial uniform. they put on their cere- like when they marched, they would dress down and and carefully pack away their dress uniform for days of war like they would get dressed up like they're going out onto like, it like you would be getting into your class As or whatever
1: Well, you've seen they go on patrol uh the uniforms they wore in World War one yeah, dress uniform <laughs> right, also a battle uniform. <laughs>
0: And this would include giant fucking headwear, like the yeah you know, everybody knows, like the shakos and the giant ber- uh, bearskin hats and shit, all that. That was specifically for battle, um, but their 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 battle uniform was so constricting that a French officer called it quote a conspiracy by three thicknesses of cloth. Nice. <laughs> all this is paired with a pair of square-toed shoes, which are notoriously uncomfortable. Now, they were square toed specifically, so they could not be sold on the black market because only military boots could have square toes. (laughs) Really? It was so common for soldiers to sell their shit for money. (laughs) Right.
1: That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, annoying micromanager aside, you would think that this intense, maybe kind of insane attention to detail would lead the premier, like, would lead this emperor to create the premier fighting force in all of the entire world. Like, he's paying attention to everything. How could anything slip by him? Well, you'd be wrong uh, in a way that underlines that Napoleon may have been kind of a dumbass. While he was worried about his uniform, buttons, and shoes, he had totally ignored the actual tools for war that his soldiers would use. Don't need it. So I'm not going to get into the weeds on French artillery here, but I will describe it very, very short uh, in a very, very short way. was a revolutionary Grebeval gun system uh, that came up uh, about 50 years before. It pretty much meant that uh, due to supply problems in the the French military, that they would use a uniform-sized gun. Um, That meant, you know, replaceable parts, easier to supply, things like that. It was considered crazy at the time. Sounds good. Um, The problem was those same guns were in use 50 years later. The whole world had passed them by. And it's impressive to point this out because Napoleon was a fucking artillery officer. And he's like, yep, still good. No changes. Uh, which means that the emperor, uh, the artillery officer turned emperor, would eventually be outgunned by artillery on the battlefield against Russia. Mm. Not a good look. No, it's not. Furthermore, they're muskets. Uh, now they were about a hundred years old, same design, uh, and now that is pretty common for musketry. I mean, we're not at rifles yet or anything. No. Um, and muskets always kind of sucked. I mean, they, even like the best musket fucking blew, but the French ones were kind of worse than normal. And everybody knew it. They had a really bad tendency to explode in their soldiers' faces after a couple shots, like, and blind them or kill them. Uh, which, uh, w- again, that happened with other muskets too, but the French ones were pretty bad. Um, the best explanation I could find was that they kind of used shitty gunpowder and weak barrels. Uh, that makes sense. But remember, this has been going on 100 years, nobody fixed it. Don't need to. Uh, and, you know, Napoleon is, is a soldiers' emperor, soldiers' general. Everybody loves him. He's supposed to be in tune with the soldier. Never gave a shit about this. Uh, Now, one of the reasons this is never fixed, uh, besides the fact that, you know, gun science is still like 100 years old for the most part. Like, there's no revolutionary designs of muskets in in, 1812. Um, It was the fact that just overall, nobody really cared about foot soldiers. They didn't take long to train, about a week. Uh, They were plentiful and easily replaced. So uh, if Frank got his fucking face blown off by a shitty musket... Nobody really cared. There were six other Franks to take his place. If Napoleon ever
1: did a tour with the soldiers, what can I do for y'all? No, he did all the time. We're going to talk oh, about that. Yeah. And he,
0: new rifles. Can we maybe get one that doesn't blow my hands off? I only have so many left. <laughs> um, so another problem that nobody really seemed to care about was where soldiers came from and where their formations fell into place. Now, like I said, this is a huge multicultural army he's slapping together. But language barriers. Uh, so... It was huge. The Wait, French Empire. His French suck. Napoleons. Yeah. It it was accented. It didn't suck. Oh, okay. Uh, he could. Uh, people did not understand. It's not like people did not understand his French. But the problem was, his soldiers may have been French, but his empire is huge and, right. co- and covers you know a dozen different states with a dover- dozen different languages. Um, and most foot soldiers, remember, are peasants. It's not like the Russian nobility that speaks German, Russian, and French, and French in the French Empire. Um, these are people from everywhere like Italians Swiss Poles Germans Dutch and a few other ones fucking Russians were fighting Russia <laughs> so like there's a whole bunch of different languages that play here Um, but nobody really thought about that when they're putting people places mm. so there's a good chance that like you know my regiment is here or my demi brigade is here because French military is a little bit weird or my division's here I need to support this division to my right I can't fucking speak to them Cause they're German Ooh, yeah. or they're Swiss or whatever. And I only speak French. Um, like the largest non French contingent of troops were Polish. We've already kind of established that, but like from the grand duchy of Poland, uh, or Warsaw rather, there was, there was a problem though. They pumped out close to a hundred thousand soldiers for the army, but Napoleon still wanted more. That was something the small impoverished state just couldn't do. Like we don't have anybody left um they sent men who were unfit already injured too young or too old
1: Hundred thousand is a lot
0: it's it's a huge i mean remember this isn't all of poland it's not even half of poland so like he's a small population base of working aged males that need to be working the fields so we don't fucking starve to death right um so we're still as remember that's the grand duchy that's not france they have their own uniforms you need to supply those they couldn't fucking do that either uh so whoops now they ended up having to plug that gap with French funds and stuff like I've talked about. But remember the largest contingent of people other than French are Poles who do not speak French. And the average Frenchman does not speak Polish or Russian. Right. Like, so there's, there's going to be a problem. Um, like those, these soldiers would show up in like street clothes or without shoes. Uh, if they were lucky, they got a, a, a badly made uniform from the grand duchy that just kind of fell off their backs. Um, and most of the men they mustered for military service had no training whatsoever, and they didn't train them before they sent them out. Uh, some of them did get training. I think the number I saw was less than half. Um, and because of infrastructure problems uh, and governmental problems with the Grand Duchy, as soon as they deployed them, they just stopped paying them. What? Yeah, so it would lead to huge amounts of desertion. Uh, but the funny part was, you could desert within the Grand Army into another country's army and just enlist. Super fucking calm. Oh, okay. So, like, Poles would be like, I'm going to go join the French army. And people are like, yeah, whatever. Come on in. <laughs> Nobody really gave a shit. Um, though the Poles could be considered something of a success story compared to the Neapolitan contingent of the Italian army. Mm, ice cream. I, if only it was as good as the ice cream. The entire force is made up of different gangs and secret societies. That's nice. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like, some, like a like a real-life West Side story because everybody's bayonetting one another. Um and like once they were all grouped into regiments, they just started fighting one another. That's even better. Uh, and then you know the they were a contingent of the overall Italian army, and when the overall Italian army moved out, uh, as soon as the Neapolitan contingent marched, they immediately deserted and began robbing people in the countryside. What?
1: <laughs> <laughs> like they imagine them on the battlefield? The other the enemies just like they're fighting each other. No no no! They didn't even make it out of Italy. <laughs> <laughs> they're fighting each other so much. <laughs>
0: Everything I'm saying right now, army has not invaded Russia yet. Uh, that part's going to be important. So many of the units mustered, like the Germans, Prussians, and Swiss, actually hated the idea of fighting for France. And and a lot of them, in their diaries, hoped that the Russians would win. Nice. What they did not hate was Napoleon, like I talked about before. It cannot be understated how much people loved Napoleon. Uh, but even people who fucking hated him thought he was some kind of superhero on the battlefield. Like, just by being around you, we will fight better. Which means I will add, I'll be able to get more honor and dignity and and loot and riches and shit mm. and titles and, and maybe peerage, just by being around you. Even though I fucking hate your guts, it's a really weird dynamic. Okay, but like they hated the whole idea, but just the concept of being around Napoleon is a- enough for them. Um. But he did his best to earn the personal loyalty of his men, like we actually started talking about a little bit ago. Uh, he knew everything, about every unit he visited. Uh, like, if someone had been campaigning him for him with him for years, like his famed Italian campaign, those soldiers were still around, Right. or in, in Egypt, he fucking remembered them.
1: Really? Yeah,
0: he knew individual soldiers, he knew where they fought, and he would just kind of hang out, despite the fact he was the fucking emperor of France.
1: It's kind of cool. Like, imagine
0: if, like, uh, it's it's hard to have an everyday comparison, but uh, if someone that you fought with forever ago ended up becoming, we don't have an, an emperor, but became president uh, and then visited the base that you were at, fucking remembered you. That'd be kind of cool. It's, yeah. It inspires loyalty, but like even more so, it's even more faceless back then because technology doesn't exist, things right. like that. These people haven't talked in 20 years. Uh, but he's like, hey, I remember fighting Egypt with you. What's up? And he remember fucking all of them. I mean, there's a good chance that he was just faking it, but like soldiers were absolutely, it, it was like the second coming of Christ. I'm sure they wouldn't even care by. if he was faking it. No, it had problem one. It was enough that he acknowledged their existence. Yeah. Because it can't be understated how little officers and nobility think of peasants and soldiers back then. Um, like just the cruelty visited upon them by their own officers. And that really does not happen in the French military because Napoleon ended it um and a lot of that has to do with like the levay and moss during the revolution and now it's like an army of equals for the most part like it, it, it changed the whole dynamics changed but these people were alive before this was a thing too okay so like this is the man that changed it all he changed it for us um it, it's hard to, and like i know i'm a napoleon fanboy so this all may come out biased but these are all first-hand soldiers accounts of how much they worship this man uh they talk more about napoleon than they talk about religion And they're all deeply fucking religious, right? Uh, But yeah, they they write more about Napoleon than they do Jesus or the Catholic Church. Wow. Um, And while he went, he while he visited the camps that the soldiers were sleeping at, he would sit down and eat with them. He'd eat their food, uh, which remember he's the fucking emperor of France, and he's sitting down eating some shit at a campfire with some soldiers. Um, it, It was to show them he cared about the quality of their food. And he would routinely, like, if he didn't think the food was good coming out of the kitchen, he would storm over there and chew the ass of the cooks and their officers and stuff. Like, where the fuck right. are the supplies? Why does the food taste like shit? And he'd do that in front of other soldiers so they would see it and see that he cares. Right. Um, like, in one case, there's a uh, a guy from Piedmont, which is part of Italy, uh, who did not like Napoleon. Until one day, he uh, Napoleon came up and sat down, ate bread with him. It's like, spread shit, went over, fixed it. Uh, and came back with new bread, served it himself. And he said, quote, from that day on, I devoted my life to that man. So, like, the simple things matter. Yeah. Meanwhile,
1: it's bread like... Bread does a lot.
0: I mean, especially... I like bread. Especially uh, where it, like, literally meant life. And meanwhile, like, I know a friend of mine was in the Navy, and he said there's, like, in the ships, there's a completely different stairwell for the officers to take than men. So, like, the juxtaposition is stark. Um, So... By assembling so many soldiers in one army, that meant it was inevitably going to start scraping the bottom of the barrel. Like, you can't just, like, I need a half a million age fighting men we are in good shape, and, like, they appear. Like, there's going to be problems. Yeah, um, perfect. And soon it was becoming such a glaring problem that the officers in the army were complaining that half the men they were getting were completely fucking useless. Um, and that was not just limited to the men. The army would also need tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of horses. Because remember, they're main mode of transportation, Right. Uh, buying so many so quickly that it, it actually created a horse shortage in the empire. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: you don't hear that
0: often. No, you do not. Uh, you can imagine this impact, how badly this impacted people who were not in the army. They're like, how am I going to get my goods to market? And shit like that. Right. They had so many ho- horses and they got so many in because you know they're not like, they just say, I need 10,000 horses. They're like, I'll get you 10,000 horses. You didn't say anything about the quality. I'll get you 10,000 horses. Many of them were too small or too weak to even carry the burden of a normal cavalry soldier at the time, which, I mean, admittedly was a lot, but, uh, like, these horses weren't good for anything. Right. But they also had to train the ones that were decent uh, into war horses, because a lot of these guys just came off stables, uh, which normally takes uh, a fair amount of time and hard work. They didn't really have even one of those things. So... um, they just kinda of sell to forcing the horses to run towards a group of men who are screaming at them and banging pots and pans to simulate gunfire.
1: I feel like those guys got fucked up. Uh
0: well, they did it over and over and over again until the horse just was didn't react to it Rolled anymore. At, at which point it was awarded a carrot. Oh, yeah.
1: I imagine at first the guys are all bandit like they're all fucked up, and then at the end they're like, Oh god, please don't
0: care. <laughs> we can't get ran over too many more times. Uh now if it sounds like they cut some corners on their horse training, they did. Something you really couldn't, it was like cavalry training. and Like teach men how to ride horses, use horses, care for horses. Because one of the most important things that a cavalry soldier can do while on their march is take care of their mount. Right. Like they're kind of veterinarians at the same time. Uh, most of the new cavalry soldiers that the army received were too small to wield a sword. Uh, and they had no idea how to ride or take care of horses over long distance. So that's going to be a problem. At like after one march to Berlin, the majority of the horses that were ridden were already lame or infected with uh, saddle sores because their rider had no idea how to take care for them on the march. Um, like I I think um uh, something to compare that to is how little an average U.S. Army soldier knows how to do actual maintenance on a vehicle.
1: Most none at all. Yeah,
0: yeah. So it's like oh, broke down. Must be a piece of shit. Pretty much. But did you change the oil? what? <laughs> like, you just plug him in and like, yeah, it'll work itself out. This thing has liquid in it? Yeah. Now, if you're thinking that a guy who didn't pay obsessively close attention to details uh, of his army did not know he was filling his ranks with a bunch of largely useless people, you'd be wrong. Napoleon knew fully well what he was doing. Uh, he knew as well as you or I that you cannot rapidly recruit 40,000 cavalrymen and not, you know, Show up with some duds, uh. But his goal was intimidation. Remember, he was going to storm into Russia by like, right. look at my fucking army. Listen to me. He didn't actually think he was going to use them.
1: Should have got a green screen.
0: Yeah, just just copy and paste <laughs> yeah. one
1: horse over and over and over again.
0: Uh, he knew that the Tsar would hear it. Like Napoleon has forty thousand cavalry coming, and like be intimidated by it. He he didn't like. He wanted the just the idea of fighting him to be a bad idea. He wanted his force to strike fear into the heart of enemies but one of officer, one of napoleon's officers had a very good point where he's like okay but what if we actually have to fight them
1: mm. <laughs>
0: like i like these guys suck
1: wait a second <laughs> let's like, let's think about this
0: sir that's only half of a plan <laughs> uh now let's we're gonna move on from the army we're gonna talk about his logistics system now hold on and everybody listening i just i just heard i don't know 4,000 audible groans through my headphones. Like, Oh God, we're going to talk about logistics. Now bear with me. This is what I wrote my cap capstone project. on Logistics. <laughs> the logistics of the invasion of Russia. Yeah. Is it good? It's, I'll keep you at the edge of your fucking seat. I can't uh, sit at the edge of my seat. Uh, it's cause uh, you'd be at the edge of your seat mostly because everybody is d- dysentery, but, um, I will, I will make this as plain and as, as entertaining as I can. Cause that's kind of what we do here, I guess. Um, Now, it sounds like it might be the most boring thing I've ever talked about in the show, uh, but that is actually not true, and I am also convincing myself of that. Uh, So by necessity, the French Revolutionary Armies always traveled light. Uh, They had no rations to speak of. Uh, Like, there wasn't really a logistic system that gave them food. Uh, They would live by looting whatever area they uh, happened to be marching through. It was a system called La Marade. Um, It just means marauding. Looting. Mm. Uh, Stealing, you know, whatever. Whatever. Napoleon really hated this because, remember, he's an honor guy. Right, Uh, He's he's an honor boy. He disliked looting because it thought it made him look bad, Uh. which it did. So he developed his own system in place where you could still live off the land, but the army had a system in place where, okay, my soldiers came through and took three of your cows. Here's a whole bunch of money. Which, I mean, the idea was the army was moving so fast because the Revolutionary armies did move very, very fast. Um, They were renowned for that but they would move so quickly through an area that we're only going to take a certain amount. You're going to get money. Uh, and you know, there's, there's going to be plenty left and you'll get paid. Everybody wins. Um,
1: it,
0: it, it, it's in a perfect world. Everybody wins. You get, you know, encumbered with a whole bunch of hungry assholes for a couple of days, but we're going to be gone really, really fast. Oh. um, But Napoleon knew this would not work in Russia. The La of Murad wouldn't work. Uh, his system wouldn't work. Uh unlike the rest of Europe where there was frequent towns in close proximity to make this system work uh and with various you know resources to pick from like oh this town is a farm this town has fields you know we can live off this shit Russia didn't have that they didn't have a suitable road system uh its towns were very 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 few and far between even more so than they were in World War II which ended up fucking the Germans as well um and the countryside was pretty much a wasteland There wasn't, like, vast fields of corn or anything. That's depressing. It was virtually, I mean, it's Russia. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He said, quote, one can expect nothing of the country. We'll have to carry everything with us. And he was right. Uh, There wasn't going to be anything for him. So he founded the commissariat, um, or something resembling what, on paper, looks like a modern supply system that would stockpile everything his army would need in giant stockpiles. And then it would be distributed as necessary throughout the huge army as they went.
1: I just uh, thought that meant he was going to... Start shooting people? <laughs> have a bunch of shopettes on the way. <laughs> yeah, that's where the word comes from. Everybody, now you know. get your tornadoes.
0: Everybody line up and get your French, to- French toast tornadoes. Uh, <laughs> so he would need an effective transport system for this to work. Since he was transporting a large amount of supplies, he needed large heavy wagons that would require quality roads are you getting the hint that this probably isn't going to work? Mm. He, he did a U.S. army, which was, he built a modern supply system that would work on a war that you would draw on a map. And then he invaded the place where it absolutely would not work. Uh, but I mean, if he was writing this down for like a war college paper, it'd be revolutionary. <laughs> nice. Um, now the, the wagon train for supplies is 10,000 wagons. Now that, this is actually kind of ingenious, his plan on paper, because like he knew that like when the wagons get to point B, they're gonna be pretty fucking haggard, so I'm probably not gonna get them back. So part of my supply system, I'm gonna have draft oxen carry them, and when they get there, the soldiers will eat the oxen and the stuff that's in the wagon.
1: They're, like it's perpetuating. Cool.
0: Because you know that they're not. We're not. The wagons are gonna be all torn up. We're not gonna get them back. So just eat the fucking oxen, ditch the wagons. Eat the wagons. Eat the wagons. <laughs> yeah. Build fucking uh, shack out of them. Whatever. Now, these 10,000 wagons joined a wagon train that was already lar- so large it was absurd. Uh, now, the Revolutionary Army got a, um, a reputation for traveling light, like I said, because they didn't have anything. Like They rarely had uniforms. Uh, they definitely didn't have a 100,000-man wagon train. But ever since the French Empire became a thing, that had changed rapidly as people began became becoming nobility again, granting importance, and with importance becomes self-importance, and that you just end up becoming a gluttonous asshole. So every officer had at least one carriage, uh, that would have attended by at least one servant. Ooh! Now imagine how many officers are in an army of a half a million people. Twenty-four. <laughs> that's like so. That's just regular officers. It's already a half million wagons. Hmm. Um, generals would bring four times that. Now, if that sounds bad, let's talk about Napoleon himself. Ooh! Remember how palace on wagon. Uh, one of them, yeah. Now, uh if if you remember I said that he is an absolute monarch, and that is true. Though there there was trappings of another government system, that was largely just his plaything, but he would have to run the country on a campaign, which he had been doing, but from a much bigger fucking distance now. Uh so on top of the normal general type stuff that he brought, like wagons and and the like he brought palaces, he brought libraries, he brought an office. All these are different wagons. Um, he brought, you know, I don't know, a hundred different changes of clothes and everything else. He brought servants and uh, each one of those servants would also have a wagon because they had a very specific oh. job. He also brought with him what amounted to be the entire French government. Uh, this included courts and an entire mail system and everything else you need to run the entire country by wagon train.
1: I want to go into one of those wagons and it just be like, it's just huge from the inside. and Then you go back out and it just looks like a regular wagon. Just cast a spell on it or something. Yeah.
0: And like he was going to run his, he's going to run his entire country by secured lockbox of mail the whole way. So he kind of created a pony express along the way too, further creating a giant clusterfuck of logistics. So now that we have a decent outline of the French military, let's talk about the Russian military because it could not have been more different, uh, at least as far as the common soldier was concerned.
1: Awful, I assume.
0: So the standard Russian conscript which the entire army is based in conscription, would serve for a period of 25 years. What? Uh, This was, in effect, a life sentence. Uh, Now, soldiering back in the 1800s is pretty goddamn brutal, as we have talked about quite a lot. Even back then, physical abuse and hazing was common in almost every army, uh, but the Russian army was considered the worst of the worst. Russian soldiers were treated with disgust and contempt by their officers, who were all nobles, uh, who would use other enlisted soldiers, normally uh, NCOs, to beat the others on command if they displeased them or even looked at them wrong. There was no military justice system. They were effectively serfs in uniform. Wow. Uh, And this being the 1800s, disease was incredibly common and very often fatal. Vaccines simply did not exist. Hygiene did not exist. They did not understand things like bacteria. So you can imagine how this spreads. All of this added up to uh, being only around ten percent of all conscripts surviving their time in the Russian army
1: in peacetime. It's not uh, t- uh, What? This is before. We, this is before <laughs> we introduce a war. Uh,
0: so I want you to have a better understanding of what these numbers mean. So in 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 I did some math. So bear with me. Twenty eighteen, the United. You're not States, even good at math. I am not. Uh, then twenty eighteen, the United States Army had around four hundred seventy one thousand nine hundred ninety soldiers in it, active duty. Using the same numbers of the Imperial Russian Army, less than 50,000 would survive. I don't like my odds. That would make peacetime the most violent time to be in the United States Army in its See, history. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if that sounds really, really grim, it's supposed to get worse. Uh, so when people would be officially drafted into the army, they'd get a letter. Uh, at that point, the ar- their family would throw a funeral for them That they would be invited to attend along with all their neighbors. Congrats! Uh, Now the family would then ritualistically excise them from their lives. Part of that funeral would be piling up all the stuff that reminded them of them and setting it on fire, because they knew they were never going to see you again.
1: That sucks.
0: (laughs) That's like the most uniquely Russian thing I've ever fucking heard. Yeah, it is. Uh, Imagine like you went home like, mom, dad, I enlisted. Like. Okay, we'll invite all the neighbors over. And, like, it's just like an empty casket with, like, your old jerk socks in it or something. Yeah.
1: And, like, a picture of you?
0: All of your old, like, childhood f- uh, pictures that your mom ever took. Gone. They put them in a garbage can, and light them on fire in front of you. And like, yeah, uh, go ahead and move your bed out. We're turned into a gym and, you know, Air- Airbnb, that shit. Well, I'm not leaving for four months. Uh, whatever, get your shit out of here. <laughs> now, if you were a father and you were conscripted, which happened a lot, um, you would also have to take your child. Uh, this is because the Russians believe that a single working mother could not be a mother, and they could not care for a child. Clearly. So the males were put into military orphanages, They were, and they would be raised from whatever age they ended up in there to become NCOs in the Russian army. Uh, the women would be put in regular orphanages, which were pretty bad, too. But the conditions in these schools were so bad that... Most of them died. Only about two-thirds survived until Most- adulthood. Yeah. Only two-thirds of children survived to actually make it into the Russian army as an NCO. Wow. It also should be pointed out, this is the only way you would ever make
1: an NCO. Oh. So, within that 20- So, the NCOs are already pissed. Yeah. They already, they grew up in death camps.
0: Much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they grew up in cholera-infected death camps, abandoned by their parents. Oh. Um like, imagine you're serving 25 years, right? And you show up at a new duty station, river, and your fucking son's in charge of you.
1: <laughs> and then you don't get retirement.
0: Uh, no, your retirement's that they expect you to die in 12. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, so it's it's there is accounts of regular conscripts becoming NCOs, but they're super fucking rare. Um, and also, the only way to be an officer is a noble. So you're never gonna make like a lieutenant or whatever. Uh, Yeah, so you were almost certainly to be outranked by your son if they managed to survive. So they don't have much of a
1: ladder. Mathematically,
0: the good news was you were both going to die.
1: (laughs) At least there's a guarantee. Like You know what's going to (laughs) happen.
0: Now, if you're thinking, like, all right, I have 25 years in service, and Russia really isn't at war that often back then, what the fuck am I going to do with all this time? Right? Like we even think 25
1: that, whole years.
0: Yeah. Like we even think that now during a regular army contract where like you have time off. Like, what am I gonna do at work tomorrow? There's nothing to fucking do. Think slavery. Entire units would be rented out by the aristocracy to be used for labor. Uh and those payments would go to their officers. Makes sense. Uh this is hardly surprising as even the officers who remember were all nobles were paid absolute dog shit. This is actually the lowest paid military to include their officers in the entirety of Europe. like. And, and re- remember as the promotion is nobility based. So if you were a super minor noble, you're never getting promoted. Your family doesn't fucking matter. Mm-hmm. So you were effectively doomed to a life of dog shit poverty alongside your own soldiers. If you happen to be some shitty Viscount from ass of Siberia or whatever. So like, yeah, they sold their... This soldiers. army sucks. This, this army sucks. Thanks, God. And, like, and, and every day you go back, all the other officers fucking hate you because you're a minor noble, but your soldiers hate you too because you sold them into slavery. So it's like, fuck, man. Now, you would think this would make desertion super common, and you would be wrong. This is mostly because of Russian reasons.
1: Ah, uh, their morale was high.
0: Well, Russia is vast and miserable, uh, and because of the serf system at the time... If you were to run off at some random village, everybody would know you're not from there. So, like, they would probably either, A, turn you in, which is was almost always a death sentence, um, or you would just not be able to live because uh, you're an unattached peasant. You have no money. You have no land. You have no way to live. Uh, But whenever units were stationed to a cl- close to a border, the units would just disappear overnight. Like whole fucking, like, battalions? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Like, they would just rush over the border, and they would either just, like, become fugitives or join the other army solid uh, because they would actually get paid and like yeah. food and stuff. Oh, you guys actually eat? Yeah. What'd you have for dinner? Sleep. <laughs> I think I have to, I think I have to build a roof tomorrow. Sleep. They let you sleep. But all of this. Uh, so the entire Russian military is based on deprivation and brutal, horrible discipline. Like, uh, the rest of the the rest of European armies are known for that. I mean, you're standing a lot of getting shot at. Yeah, most people are pretty well disciplined, but I I guess a, 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 a unpopular statement would be the Russian Imperial military is by far the most disciplined in all of Europe because they had nothing else. Huh. Like their life was the military, so other people could retreat or surrender or whatever. What would the Russian do? I my whole life is in this military. I can't do that. So they would stand in line.
1: Fuck, that sucks. Yeah,
0: they were they were notorious for, uh, it, like the most soldiers will only retreat on command because the the pure, the penalties of doing otherwise is pretty pretty steep. Die. But the but the Russians, uh, like if their officer was killed and nobody had the ability to pass on orders to retreat, they don't always fight to the death.
1: <laughs> Either way, you're just dying.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this will become important much, much later on in the series. Now, ever since Alexander had been bros in Napoleon, he'd have been tempted to rapidly modernize the Russian military. This meant nothing for regular Russian line soldiers because their life was bleak and miserable. But what it did mean is by the time of the war, the Russian artillery, like I said, was actually better than the French. Uh, also, their uniforms were much better. Uh, like, they just wore a simple green uniform, um... Some special units like cavalry and stuff had some flares attached to it, but it was like actual livable clothing. Nice. <laughs> um,
1: you gotta look good.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean they they were comfortable, much but much more so than their French counterparts. Uh, Russia also had enough strength. Another old standby, um, uh, the, like their main strength of all time was just the numbers, a large pool of manpower. Um, fear of the coming war. And Alex had an emergency draft, which uh, managed to dig up one million soldiers nearly overnight. What? Yep. <laughs> now, like they had to, like really, they didn't really have a very uh, in depth census at the time. It was like uh, their conscription, like one in thirty men conscripted, one in twenty five men conscripted. There was like one in 15 1 in ten.
1: Like and they're just wow. like, they're like okay, he's missing feet, but okay. <laughs> uh, and- that recruiting post met their quota.
0: Now, the worst part was a lot of these men had already finished their 25 years of service. Fuck,
1: that sucks. <laughs> Congrats, you got extended. So, you
0: know how the only 10% of you uh, made it the first time? You want to roll those dice? <laughs> how about 1%? I can't imagine that one guy is like, thank God, I missed the army. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I didn't have anybody to call me a fucker and hit me with a stick in years. But that also meant they were all really fucking old. Like Yeah. I mean, for 1800s peasantry in Russia, this guy would have already been his mid to late 30s and already lived a fucking hard as shit life. So, like, he only has a couple of years left. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, that has to be the worst stop loss of all time. Now, they also brought in French and Prussian officers who had fled from the revolution and Napoleon's advance. Remember, a lot of people hated Napoleon, but also a lot of them didn't have this that you know magnetic attraction to them that some people did. So, like, they're like... Fuck Napoleon, I'm going to go fight him. Also, Russia was paying them a lot to do that. Um, so many of them filled the Russian military that in order to pass orders from an officer, like a general officer, down to enlisted men, they'd have to cross three different languages. Um, there's also the small fact that the Frenchmen, like, so the French had so uh, penetrated the, the, the Russian military that a Frenchman was the admiral of the entire Russian fleet. Really? Yeah. Also, their main commander of the war was German. Russians themselves had actually very little command and control over the Russian military as a whole. I mean, obviously they had the czar and the various nobles who were generals, but like uh, Barclay Tolly, who is the main commander of the war for the, for a large chunk of the war for Russia is German. Uh, and it pretty much is a circle of Germans that control it. Through everything we talked about th- those so far throughout all of this, the two sides were still trying to talk to one another uh, because it, The only person that really seemed to want war was Napoleon. Everybody else was like, "Yeah, sure, we'll do war," but also like, "I'm okay with not doing war as well." Yeah. So Napoleon sent one last emissary to the Tsar, looking for peace. And by peace, I mean Napoleonic peace. The Tsar refused to enter formal peace talks until Napoleon pulled all of his troops from Warsaw, which. Napoleon could not do, because then that made him look like he abandoned Warsaw, which then he thought the Tsar would then invade Warsaw. Some of that's probably true. Uh, not exactly sure. So either way. I do not think a Russian invasion was realistic. Uh, they just didn't have, at the time, they just didn't have it in them. Um, now, obviously, Napoleon wasn't going to do any of that. He really didn't have, like, he didn't get a half a million people altogether. Just for
1: no reason. For no for to not yeah. go to war. You can't um, get all dressed up to not go out into the town.
0: He thought Alex's dismissal, uh, like, I can't, I'm can't, i not even going to talk to you until you leave Warsaw, was a challenge. Which is kind of how we saw everything, if you're not picking up on that. And it was a challenge. You're chal- not going to eat all your food, Napoleon? Is that a challenge? War! And, <laughs> yeah. Hey, Napoleon, how's it Choose going? Choose the plate. <laughs> yeah, like, he, you shake his hand. You high-five him rather than shake his hand. Hmm, so it's war. Or you, you like, shake his hand a little bit too hard.
1: Yeah. Oh, so that's how you want it.
0: And unfortunately for pretty much everybody involved, it was a challenge that Napoleon was more than happy to buy into. Now, Napoleon was starting to smell his own farts. He was, buying it. He was digging into his own supply. He was so dismissive of the Russians. Like the, he said, quote, never has an expedition against them been more certain of success. And he started talking about how the Russians were savages and barbarians and how a, an army of savages such as the Russians can never stand against us. Which, I mean, the part of that could be he's trying to convince himself. I don't know. Uh, but with that, Napoleon finally crossed the Rubicon into irreversibly fucking himself and began the war that would destroy the first French Empire and eventually lead to his death. ooh And that is where we will pick up next week.
1: Better. Nice.
0: And I promise next week the war actually starts.
1: Finally, do you feel better now, Nick? I do. I
0: just killed people so for you. So 1812 is coming. It is already 1812.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So that is Napoleon's invasion of Russia, part D.
1: Nice. I see what you did there. Yeah, uh, so now. Do that in
0: Russian. I will not. Uh, I don't. I think I know like four Whoa. whole words of Russian. What's that? Uh, I I think they're mostly swear words. I can't remember them
1: all. Uh, but I know how to squat.
0: I I speak fluent uh uh Gopnik. Nice. Now that is part two. Um, thank you for listening. If if you if you like what we do, like share and subscribe. Um, and if you really like what we do and would like to support us financially, you can do so through Patreon. Uh, if you give to us through Patreon, you get access to our communal Discord with the boys over at The Hell of a Way to Die. You get episodes early. You get bonus episodes. You get books. You get stickers. Um, you get Nick for a weekend. Um, I'm fun. He, he's all right. Uh, so again, uh, Nick, thank you for suffering through m- two whole episodes. Is that a war right
1: uh, now? The lights are off. So support us. <laughs> we did not turn the lights in <laughs> the studio. Did. on. <laughs> it's before, before we week. started recording.
0: Uh, we are not good at that. We've been doing this for almost two years with the lights on and we have, uh, uh, we have not remembered how to turn the lights on. Uh, so until next week, everybody, um, I don't know how to close this one out. Uh, don't join the Russian army. Yeah, don't. <laughs> Later.